Romans. Gospel for all time. Uh, thank you for singing this morning. It's wonderful having you sing out. I told you in my email yesterday, if you got to see that, we went and saw the, the movie uh, Jesus Revolution, and Julie and I were both like very pleased that they told the truth in that movie. Ministry is messy, and God uses imperfect people. It's an amazing thing, and He accomplishes, not we as pastors, He accomplishes great things. And I did. I wanted to shout out in the movie, hallelujah, you know. I just wanted to scream it out, and I was brought to tears at times. So here I am sobbing and trying to scream hallelujah, and instead I just suck my Diet Coke, because you don't want to be weird. And my wife would be like, shh. She puts her hand on my knee, say shh. So, um, but it's good to be here because it's here. It's in God's house with God's people that we share that, that same passion. We want God to do something. Amen. We're in this series of Romans and uh, you can say hallelujah because we're past the hard, hard stuff. Uh, chapters 9 through 11 in Romans is all about Israel and them as a nation and where do you believe, where do you stand. There's a lot of things there that people struggle over, but now we've crossed that bridge and we can say hallelujah because now we're going to get into some stuff that's just a joy. It's a joy to share with you, exciting stuff. This is Paul's, you know, I mean this is really his dynamo his what do you call it uh, denouement I mean you can there's so many words where this is where Paul is writing all of his thoughts his theology this is where he brings out friends this is the gospel I'm clearly going to express to you everything I can to give you a good heart of, of God's mind and, and so that's where we've been we've struggled through some of the stuff and today chapter 12 is a major break in the starting of a new section and he uses the word therefore everybody say therefore and in Scripture, especially with Paul, anytime you come upon a therefore, you've got to stop, go back, and find out what it's there for. And so at chapter 12, we're picking up on the fact that Paul has been teaching us truth, and now he's like, so therefore. So there's a that, there's a so that. It's like Paul has been teaching, and now he says, all the stuff I've taught you, now this and it's a really key thought. Let's just recap real quickly. Early in Romans, Paul said, we're all sinners. Everybody is a sinner. No one is without excuse. And after he hammered that home for several chapters, he introduced Jesus. Amen? We're all sinners and no one's without excuse. So God sent his son. And he's the answer for that sin problem. And he makes it very clear. Paul spells it out. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's understanding that we come by faith through grace and it is all through Jesus. That's the only way anybody can be saved. Listen, uh, there is one road that leads to heaven. Now there's lots of on-ramps. There's lots of ways people come to Christ. I love hearing people's stories. I love hearing people say how they found Jesus. Uh, but there's only one road. And Paul was saying, hey, listen, no one gets to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You must come in faith. You must confess your sins. You must understand that Jesus is God's son, lived a perfect sinless life as the God-man, and then he died on the cross for you and for me. And not only did he die, but he rose again which conquered death and sin once for all. That is what Paul has been teaching us. And then we get to those uncomfortable chapters of 9 through 11, where Paul, by the way, Paul's not writing this as a professor to a bunch of theological geeks. He's a pastor talking to a church. It's a pastoral letter. And so Paul deals in chapter 9 through 11 about Israel, thinking they're all that, 
And, and then all, all of a sudden, here comes to the church. You've got Israel and you've got Gentiles coming together. And Paul is saying, God opened this up for all mankind. And so this church in Rome is made up of an eclectic group of people. And Paul takes three chapters to explain, hey, listen, church, no one is saved because of who they were born from. No one is saved because of a lineage. Just because mom and dad know God, just because grandma and grandpa serve God, doesn't mean you're in automatically. Every person must come on their own and we're saved by grace, not through race. Remember, it's grace, not race. So it doesn't matter what family you were born into, have you come to personal faith in Jesus Christ? After all that's been said, Paul says emphatically, therefore, and then here's what he says. You can follow me, Romans 12. Let's give you the big idea first. <coughs> Excuse me. The big idea is time for total transformation because that's what Paul gets to it's time for transformation now you can go there meet me in Romans chapter 12 1 and 2 I'll read it out loud but you can follow along and then I'm just going to warn you I would love to see if anybody can keep up with me today especially if you got a hard copy of the Bible I'm telling you you're going to get paper cuts and everything we're going to a lot of passages all of them are written by Paul I'm kind of showing you this is Paul's theology in a nutshell because he's been teaching it all these other uh, letters to churches. And so uh, try to keep up. If not, it might be on the screen. I don't know if they're keeping up with me, but they're trying so hard. Uh, but we'll, we'll all do Romans 12, 1 and 2 together. So listen as I read the main context. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you have heard that passage before? I, I think so. I think many people have heard this passage before. Just remember, it's in the context of what Paul has been teaching. Therefore, I urge you. Now, that's a pastoral urging. He's putting emphasis on there. And he's addressing brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's talking to people who believe in Jesus in view of God's mercy. And here's the key words. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Transformation is the word of today. And we're going to, I love, uh, there's so many so many people have preached this passage, these two little verses. Uh, I really like this outline because it just makes sense. It's so simple. We start with a definition of what does it mean to be transformed. Paul said, therefore, everything I've taught you leads to this, be transformed. So let's define that. The word here in Romans 12 is metamorpho. I love that. Metamorpho, it's a Greek word that means to change into another form. To change. Metamorpho. We have an example of that in Matthew 17, 1 and 2. Remember the, the transfiguration. Jesus goes up onto a mountain with some of his key disciples, and there they see him in live living color. They see him changed, right? Let's look at that passage, Matthew 17, 1 and 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led him to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured or transformed or 
metamorpho, right? There's a change that takes place right before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. I like this because these normal guys, these human men are with Jesus and they witness something and what they witness they cannot blow off. They see Jesus' face just boo. It wasn't like they could say, Jesus, you've been in the sun? You know, what's going on? You, you got a glow about you. No, this is not some new bride glow. We're talking boo. And, and they had to notice, wow, look at the change. Something has changed here. That's why we got this as an example. Paul is saying for you and for me, for believers, if we come to Christ, that's not the end of it. That's the most important thing I could share with you this morning. Coming to Jesus and asking him to save you isn't the end of it. That's not the climax of everything that's supposed to be. It's just the beginning. It's new birth. I mean, you're just a baby on the table at that point. So Paul is saying that's when transformation begins. There is a change. Has anybody ever come to you and said, what's, what's some, something different about you? You've changed. Now, that's not good if you're a grumpy old man, you know. If somebody's coming to you saying, what's wrong with you? You know, you're different. That's not good. But if you, as a Christian, have people around you that say, something's different about you. You're just, you've changed. I've seen that. There's living testimonies in this room today. I've had men come to me that got saved here at Oakwood. And then they went back to the shop. They worked in a shop with a bunch of guys and they're like, Pastor, something's wrong with me. They literally came in the week after and said, Pastor, something's wrong with me. I was at work and I, I was sitting there just realizing all these men don't know Jesus. They don't know God. He does, he's not a reality to them. And, and then he looked at me and he said, I started to cry. I mean, he's working in a shop with a bunch of dudes. And he's like, I've never cried my whole life and now I'm at work and I'm crying in front of the guys. What's wrong with me? You're changed. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. God did a work in you. You're a new creation, and now things stir you that never stirred you before. I've had other men come in and say, you know what, they came to me, and I didn't even notice it, but somebody came to me and said, you've changed. You don't swear like you used to swear. I didn't realize I'd stop swearing. (laughs) Well, hey, guess what? Something happens in us the moment we receive Christ, and Paul's trying to explain that. Metamorpho transformed you know it as this word obviously metamorphosis you've heard that word it's a scientific term and obviously here i am i'm the million and one pastor who's used this illustration the caterpillar becomes the butterfly right that is the best illustration the caterpillar becomes a butterfly i think it was last spring julie comes home and she's she's got this I mean, it looked like a college dorm room uh, dirty clothes hamper. It's one of those white things, mesh things. And she brings it in all careful. She puts it on our kitchen table. I'm like, what's this? And she goes, well, Cheryl, Cheryl Nallian, is, she's taking care of these chrysalises, and they're going to turn into butterflies, and she had to leave town, so we're babysitting. I'm like, what? what? We're going to babysit some moths? And she's like, no, no, these are caterpillars that are now in the chrysalis, and it's going to be a miracle. And I'm like, oh, great. So we babysitted these, and wouldn't you know it, they they became butterflies. And Cheryl wasn't there. I'm like, oh no, we're babysitting. And now we were there for the birth. And these beautiful little butterflies are there. And, and Cheryl actually came up after the first service. She said, Pastor, I need to let you know. It's not that a caterpillar gets its wings. She said, when that chrysalis opens up and that butterfly comes out, that goo inside is what's left over from the old. It's new. 
What's there now is new. It's a new thing. It's a butterfly. And that's a decent illustration. Now, I'm not going to do it today, but I have a magic trick. Because you're way too old to, to appreciate a magic trick. You know, I, I, you know if, if I would stoop so low, I would probably come and say, I've got this empty bag here. And, you know, I would probably tell you if we took these little pieces of cloth and we stuck them in here, you know, each one, one at a time, these separate cloths. And, you know, I'm not going to do that because you're way too old and mature for that. But if I stuck those in there and then all of a sudden I want whatever, and I pulled out something brand new, ooh, that would be pretty cool. Yes, you can applause because that's it. That's, his, that's, that's his. I won't do that because you're way too mature for that. So uh, <laughs> actually, I practiced this Thursday night at our small group. I had people at our house and, and the kids all kid, they all have kids. And I'm like, you know what? First run through. I haven't touched that thing for 15 years. So I'm like, hey, kids came downstairs. I'm like, let me show you this. I held up the first and one kid said, you're going to turn that into an American flag. He goes, here's how it works, everybody. He starts telling the kids. I'm like, dang it. Ruined my magic trick. So anyways, you get the idea. Whether you have to think about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly or whether you think of a silly magic trick, something becoming totally changed, that's what we're talking about this morning. Paul is giving us this word, be transformed. But what's the concept? The concept of transformation is a complete change in character and conduct. Paul is saying you can't stay the same. You don't just pray to receive salvation so you got fire insurance so you don't go to hell. That's not what it's all about. You pray to become a follower of Jesus, and that's just the beginning. God changes you from the inside out, and it's a complete change of character and conduct. This transformation is something done in us. Everybody say in. It's not something we do on our own power. I want to make that clear. I don't want anybody leaving today say, boy, I really need to work on being changed. Well, let him change you and then follow him. Follow Jesus as the example. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Has Christ started something new in you? Did did you just get into this because you didn't want to spend eternity in hell? That's one thing. That's a great thing that we get that, but that's not the main thing. It's a new life. It's a rebirth into a, a new, changed person, character, and conduct. That's the definition of where we're at today. But then there's the goal of transformation. What is the goal of this thing Paul is talking about? It's to become like Jesus. You're never going to be Jesus. I don't, you know, don't think that. But we become more like him. Like and as, that's a metaphor, right? So we become like Jesus. We become a reflection of Jesus. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I find that interesting. They're talking about a change, and it talks about the Lord's glory, which is a shining thing, new image. It reminds me of Moses. Remember when Moses used to go in the Old Testament, they're traveling through the wilderness, and everywhere they go, they'd set up the tent of meeting, and Moses would go into the tent of meeting and meet with the Lord. But when he finished, he would come out and he would glow. He did that same thing that Jesus did on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses would be like, boo, 
and he'd walk through the village and people freaked out. You're like, here he comes again. He's all glowing. Ah, and they were scared of Moses. You know what Moses did? He would leave the tent and he'd wear a veil so he wouldn't freak them out. I don't know if Paul was remembering that when he said like, with us as unveiled faces, transformed into the image of the Lord. We're to reflect Jesus. That change in you should help people see Jesus in you. Are you a clear image of Jesus? Is how you're living your life before a lost world, is that a clear image? Can they see Jesus through you? Well, we become a reflection. We also become a disciple. And a disciple is more than just, yeah, I'm in. No. In the New Testament, when a rabbi chose students, those students followed their rabbi. They were to do everything he did. Everything, not only learn from him, but they learned a new life from him. The way of the master, right? Mandalorian, this is the way. This is how they taught. The rabbis would tell the students, I've chosen you, now do everything that I do. I've shared with this before to you that, that there was stories, um, I have a history book from those, that days, and they tell stories of rabbis who would gather their students and say, today our lesson is we're going to climb to the peak of that mountain. And so follow me. They'd take off and they'd climb all the way to the peak of the mountain. And there's a story that says when they got there, one of the rabbis said, when we started this mission out, I told you we were going to go together and to follow me. And I tied my headscarf on to keep me out of the sun. Only half of you did that failed. We're going back. We're going to start all over again. Put the headband out. Follow me. Do it like I do it. There's stories all over the New Testament, the history books about that very thing because a disciple is a follower. You replicate what you're taught and shown. We are called to be disciples of Jesus. Luke 640. The student is not above a teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. We become like Jesus when we follow him. So what else is the goal of transformation? Well, to live like Jesus. We should live like him. Offer ourselves as living sacrifice. Here's where it's at. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, changed. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is an interesting concept. The Jewish people remembered the Old Testament law and they had to sacrifice animals. And when you sacrificed animals, they died. It was a death thing. And so if talking about sacrifices, Paul's probably thinking they probably are going to think death. But I'm talking a living sacrifice. You don't die. Christian, I got, a, I got news for you. God has not called you to die for him. We have a, books of martyrs of people who have died for the cause of Christ. But he actually has called you to live for him. Your life, his will. That's how we become transformed. It's we offer ourselves as living sacrifice. Are you living each day for the Savior? Jesus did it. Again, going back to my analogy of the rabbi, you do everything that he did. If I'm going to tell you you should live as a living sacrifice, guess what? You need to know Jesus lived as a living sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. 
it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus was a living sacrifice. Yes, he went to the cross and he died, but for 33 and a half years, he lived God's will, not his own. Remember in the garden before he died? The Bible says he grieved, he prayed, sweat like drops of blood. He agonized knowing what was coming, the torture of the cross. And so he cried out to God, God, if there's any other way. And then I'm so thankful he ended the prayer with, but not my will, yours be done. He was a living sacrifice all the way to the point of actual death for you and for me. Do like Jesus did. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not my will, your God. And then we do it to demonstrate that God's will is right. At the end of Romans 12, 1 and 2, then, what do you mean then? Well, after transformation takes root, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We demonstrate that God's will is right. Guess what? Like Jesus did, right? It makes sense here. Like Jesus did, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We just need to follow Jesus. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. God, what do you want from me? I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want from me. And then we demonstrate that God's will is the best for us. Like Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross, even though he struggled with that. He did go to the cross willingly. Why? Because it was God's will. It was the way to save the whole world. And Jesus did that on our behalf. That's the goal of transformation. Now, what's the motivation? You know, if Al Pacino was here and I'm directing this wonderful movie, he would say, what's my motivation, you know? What's your motivation? What are you as a disciple of Jesus? How, does, how are you motivated for transformation? Well, Paul says it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, everybody say mercy. It's the mercies of God that should motivate you. And we don't have to look far to find those mercies. Paul has already given us them. So without even looking them up, I can tell you, what, Romans 5.1? We get peace with God. What a blessing. Paul says salvation brings us peace with God. Thank you. Only the mercy of God gives us that peace. We get freedom from sin. Paul talked about that in chapter 6. We're no longer slaves to sin. Amen? Oh, what a terrible life and a toilet bowl of addiction, spiraling downward out of control. And God said, I'm going to save you from that. I'll forgive you of your sins, but I'm going to pull you out of the toilet bowl. I'm going to give you a new life. Not only that, Paul talks about the wonderful gift of eternal life. That is a wonderful blessing and a mercy. We know that we're not temporal. This life is temporal, but we're eternal. These are the, it's not just the mercies of God. I don't think Paul mentions this specifically here, but I want to add the love of Christ. The love of Jesus compels us. Paul might not have said it here, but he did say it in Galatians. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The motivating power is the love of Jesus. The compelling power is 2 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13, no, uh, 5, 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us. You know, I was thinking about this when I got here. Some of you probably think, you know, I could do what he does. 
because he really just tells us what's in the Bible. I hope you're realizing that. I mean, I, I really do. I hope you go home and say, you know what? Our pastor's really not that bright. But he's, he's spot on. And, and, and probably all you are like, I could do that because really he's just, t- and you know what? That's the greatest compliment you could ever give your preacher. I'm not trying to wow you here with my incredible knowledge. It's like, I'm just telling you what the Bible, you look at the screen, you go, oh, wow. The motivating power, the compelling, where did he get those ideas? Well, for Christ's love compels us. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's not genius stuff here, is it? But I'm telling you what Paul has taught us throughout Scripture Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. What should motivate us? Jesus. It's the motivating power. It's the compelling power that should move us to be changed, new, radically different than we were before we met Jesus. So, okay, pastor, what's the process? How does this thing happen in us? One of the things is being baptized into Christ. Again, your pastor is not just making stuff up. I'm I'm like going to Paul and I'm reading what he's writing. And one of the things he talks about is baptism. And I understand. Don't be offended today. Some people are like, I don't want to be baptized. I'm afraid of the water. I don't want to be wet in front of a bunch of people. I understand. There's a lot of excuses, a lot of things, right? But let me just tell you. This is the sign for us today. It's it's the sign of a new believer. We're baptized into Christ. Why is that important? Well, (laughs) it's circumcised spiritually. Now again, parents, if your kids are with you today and they want to know what circumcised means, you tell them, okay? (laughs) Do not call the church and say, we need to set up a meeting, I'm bringing my kid. No, you do this, okay? But I need to let you know, as carefully as sensitively as I can, the sign for the Jewish people in the Old Testament was circumcision. This thing was performed on the eighth day which we learned from our doctor. He was, our doctor was a believer and he was explaining when Joshua was born, he's like, you know, it's amazing that we know today that a baby's blood doesn't coagulate and doesn't, you know, in the eighth day. The eighth day is when that is perfect. And in scripture, God says to his people, they will be circumcised on the eighth day. He knew, God understands the biology and how the body works. And so circumcision was the sign Can you imagine how awkward it was in the church in Rome when you got all these Jewish people and then all the Gentiles started to come in and they're like, we've got a sign, what's yours, you know? And that was a problem. That literally, I'm not making this up, that was an issue. The Jewish people are like, well, we were all in. Like, you know, there's a physical change in us that we know about and you got nothing. And they were like demanding these grown adults be circumcised. And Paul's like, yeah, okay, wait a second. The sign was circumcision, physical circumcision for the Jewish people. But now it's a spiritual, circumcised spiritually. It's, I didn't make it up. Let me read it. Colossians 2, 11 through 13. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision that's not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, 
when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. There is a new sign. The new sign for all believers is go into the waters of baptism. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not just for males. It's for everyone. The way you say to the world, I'm with Christ as you enter into the waters of baptism. And it's such a beautiful visual I grew up in a Baptist church, and boy, we dunked them. We, 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 we dunked people. I myself am such a Baptist. I've been baptized three times. Uh, I, my parents tell me I was saved when I was like four. I said a prayer, and so they got me baptized. But I grew up, and I didn't remember that at all. And, and I truly, it wasn't salvation experience. I just grew up in a very Christian home. And so when I was in the young teens, I realized I wasn't truly saved. And so I came to Christ. So I got baptized again the second time. The first time I got all wet. The second time was like a real thing in my life. And then I, I traveled to Israel and I got to go to the Jordan River. And when you're in the Jordan River, people are like, Pastor, will you baptize me here? Yes. And so I'm dunking people in the Jordan. And then the pastor who was leading the trip, his daughter said, hey, Dad, you've never been baptized in the Jordan. You're baptizing all these people. Why don't you let Don dunk you? So I dunked him and then he dunked me. So I've been baptized three times. You know, and there's no score. We're not keeping a score, although I have three. Uh, It's not like a contest or anything. But what I'm trying to get across today is, man, if there's anybody here that's been holding off on this, I want to let you know this is a big deal. It's, It's kind of a real thing. It's our sign that you're a believer. Why, Pastor? Oh, the imagery is so beautiful. That's why we we go all the way under. We Subtisto. The Bible only uses the word subtisto when it talks about baptizing. It's the same word used for dyeing wool. You can't dye wool by sprinkling water at it. You've got to put it all the way in. Submerged. And so it's a beautiful image that we bring people to the water. And it doesn't save you. You need to be saved first. That's why I always ask people on the day of baptism... Are you believing in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Yes, I am. Well, then I baptize you. See, it's, it's called believer's baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I take them and we put them under the water. And that's a beautiful image of Christ who died and was buried. That's why it's such a beautiful picture. And then we bring them up out of the water. And it's such a beautiful symbol of the resurrection of Christ. That's Easter morning. Boom, they come out of the water. And it symbolizes new life. For the believer, this is such a beautiful thing. I urge you, if you haven't done it, let's do it. Let's schedule it. Margaret or Melissa, get it on the calendar. Let's have a baptism. Who's in? We need to know. You contact the church and say, you know what? I'm in. Because this is good. This is important. To be baptized. You're saying to the world, I'm with Jesus. But you personally get to experience that beautiful understanding of, okay, okay, I'm dead to my old self and I'm raised to new life. This whole metamorpho thing that Paul's trying to explain. So beautiful. That buried with Christ, Romans 6, 4. When we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Such beautiful imagery. But raised to new life in Christ. Some of you are like, I don't want to, I'm scared of water. Listen, I've got a hundred, I'm batting a hundred percent on all the hundreds of people that I've I've not lost anybody. We brought them all back up out of the water. You know what? Some of the hair got mussed, but you know what? It's okay. They're all okay. They survived it. If you don't trust me, if if you literally go home and say, you know what? I think I do want to be baptized, but that guy's a little squirrely. 
We got other elders. Jim, he's trustworthy, man. Uh, Jeff Moore, uh, Bruce Nov. I mean, and, and, and families, if your children want to get baptized, come up and help me and be a part of that. It's not about the person baptizing you, right? Remember that was taught in the Bible. Some say, I'm, I'm from Apollos. Well, I'm from Paul. Who baptized you? Ah, yeah. No, it has nothing to do with the dude, the guy or the person who's doing the dunking. No, it's about you and your relationship with Christ and showing the world that you're with Jesus. So I, I, I just included it because Paul includes it. You're baptized. That's the process. And then it's a renewed mind. That's what he says in Romans 12. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the pattern, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. When you're saved, your thoughts now are set on eternal things. That's a change that takes place. You are no longer thinking of the temporal. You're thinking of it eternal. Colossians 3.2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The verse right before, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, eternal things. We live here, right? We live here and now, and so we, we function in this world. And I don't know who wrote it. Nobody told me after the first service. Somebody look it up on your phone right now. The guy who wrote it, or the gal who wrote this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. That's what happens. We live here, but the things here start to become not as important. It's, it's a dim thing because we have something much more, greater, eternal. That's what God does. He changes our mind. And our thoughts are now guided by quality control. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God told you and me as a believer that our minds ought to be different, affected by this salvation. We ought to be a disciple of Jesus, more and more looking like him. So we can't allow things into our mind that could stay there and dwell there that don't belong there. I use the term quality control. Uh, Rusty is a quality control manager. He thinks that he actually came up and told me there's three parts of quality control. And quality control is only one of those three. But God gave you a design for quality control for your mind. Um, uh, Kenny, come up here. Bring your wonderful son. Although I have no candy for him, you come up here too. Uh, Josh, why don't you come here? Now, using all guys, so let's get some ladies. Any ladies want to volunteer here? I need a lady or two. Uh, I know she's 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 saying no. Don't pick me. Any ladies willing? I need two gals. Two gals. Yeah, come on up here, neighbor. She's my next door neighbor. Everybody. So that's great to have her come on. One more lady, one more lady. Come on, give me a lady. I'll make my wife do it. (laughs) Come on, Deandra, you can do it. I know you can do it. Deandra can do it. That's perfect. Um, Let's do this. Sherry, why don't you, Sherry, right? Yeah, Sherry. Come over here, Sherry. You you be there. And we'll make Deandra be by you. You come here, move over there. Perfect. I need you. This is great. 
These people, I'm going to illustrate this verse because I think it's a great way to illustrate this verse today because we have an opportunity for quality control and it's Easter time. My wife played a great trick on me the other day. I woke up and I went to the fridge to open up the eggs to make my scrambled eggs and she put all these Easter, chocolate Easter eggs in there and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, wait, yay. (laughs) Nothing better for breakfast than chocolate and peanut butter, right? And so I love it. I love I love chocolate Easter eggs. The peanut butter inside, they're wonderful. So we, us, we're going to be a factory that makes chocolate Easter eggs. And all of you guys have a part to play because you are my quality control. This is where the buck stops here, right? And so put your hands out in front of you just like this, and you're a conveyor belt. So I'm going to come down the line, and we're going to hand out these chocolate Easter eggs, and you each have a job. Sherry? Our chocolate Easter eggs, we're probably selling these little bad boys for like, what, 25 cents a piece? So if I came to you and I gave you this humongous basketball-sized, that's not good because we're losing profits, right? We can't do that. We need to sell the right size. So you're in charge of size. So if I came and I put down this thing on the conveyor belt and it's huge, what are you going to do with it? You take take your hands and go, you got to throw it away. Yeah, it's gone. That didn't make the cut, you guys. That's the wrong size. But if I hand her a chocolate Easter egg and it's the right size, which should be about what? Yeah, an egg, good. If it's the right size, hand it to DeAndre. She is going to check the color because one, it might be the right size, but my chocolate Easter eggs, by the way, I love dark chocolate, but no, 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 no. Not on a chocolate Easter It needs to be that milk chocolate, right? It's got to be the perfect color, okay? It's the same color of my coffee. I try to explain this to the baristas. I'm like, just a little cream. Well, how much cream? I said, start pouring. I'll tell you when I see it. It's got to be that color. And by the way, that color of my coffee is the same as the chocolate Easter egg. It's beautiful, okay? (laughs) Your pastor has ADD. I go some places. Just come with me, okay? (laughs) It's the right size. Hand it over to her. It's the right color. No, it's not. It's got green. (laughs) She's got a quick release, man. She's like, it's not right. We're getting rid of it. All right, so now I give you one. It's the right size. It's the right color. Give it to Josh there. Josh, you're, you're, you have to, it's got to be the right shape. A chocolate Easter egg, it has to be just right. What shape is a chocolate Easter egg? Good man. I've heard so many people try to explain an egg shape. Just say egg shape. Yes, you nailed it. If it's not, if I give it to Sherry and she hands it down, it's the right size, it's the right color, and you get it, and it's got all triangles and sharp points. That's not egg-like. What do you do with it? Good. We get rid of it. So now we've got an egg, and it's the right size. It's the right color. It's the right shape. Then we give it to this guy. He's got a beautiful job. He's going to take it and go, smell it. Give it a good smell. It's got to smell like a chocolate Easter egg. What if it smells like the inside of a middle school locker room? Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Forget the, we're going to just, all right. It's got to smell and it's got to smell like that heavenly scent of chocolate with the hope of a gooey in the middle. I don't know what that smell is exactly, but it's there. It's the right size. It's the right color. It's the right shape. It's the right smell. Give it to dad. Kenny gets it. He's got the most important job. He takes it. Give it a lick. Give it a lick. You didn't know that every Easter egg had to be tested, right? So, so we give it down the line. It's the right size. It's the right color. It's the right shape. It's the right smell. Kenny gets it. He licks and it smells and tastes like the inside of a locker room. What are we doing with it, Kenny? Get rid of it. Just dunk it right on his head. Push. All right. right. Because 
That's not good. We can't have a company. This quality is what we're looking for. We want the right size. We want the right color. We want the right shape, right? The smell and the right taste. And then, yes, give them a hand, everybody. They did great. They did great. Thank you. You guys can go sit down. You know, see, God did that beautiful thing for us. He didn't, he didn't leave us guessing how to have this renewed mind. Paul tells us in Philippians, whatever is true, not size, color, shape, smell, or taste. It's true, just, pure, lovely, and good. Think on those things. Guys, in other words, when the world sends things to your mind that don't belong to you, or even better, it doesn't belong there. Don't let it dwell. Friends, don't dwell on the things of this earth that bring you down and give you anxiety and cause all sorts of grief. Those are not the things that are eternal. Use God's quality control for your mind. And then, as we wrap it up today, there's an invitation to transformation, and it's a call to commitment. It's an action, sacrifice, worship, and service. That's what Paul said, all in one. This is a call to commitment, friends. It's an action. I don't want to just breeze past that. Paul said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies. That's an, act, that's an active role in this. You offering, it's action, it's sacrifice. It is your worship and service to God. Transformation. Secondly, it's a call to change. You were once conformed to the pattern, but now you're transformed by a renewed mind. What's the conclusion today? We've been called by God's love and mercy to be transformed into the image of Jesus. We have the opportunity to start new and fresh through salvation. Salvation. Offered by God as a result of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We must allow our minds to be renewed by setting our thoughts on eternal things in order to be changed from the inside out. Friends, again, I'm not leaving you with a list of things you need to go and do. I'm simply asking the question, has God saved you? Has he begun the work in you? He promises, whoever I began to work in, I'll complete it. I'll follow that through. Have you started into that process of a lifetime change? Man, it's what he offers by his grace. Paul is telling us today, and the band can come and join me as we get ready to close this out. Paul is showing us and telling us today that everything he's taught us in Romans has led us to this. Have you experienced that transformation? I pray that you have. I pray that you will. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, you have an opportunity to do that this day. Don't let it wait. If you've never asked God to forgive you and come into your life as Savior and Lord, do that today. You can come talk to me or one of the elders or anybody else here at Oakwood that knows Jesus. I'd encourage you to do that. It's only then that we can have life and have it to its full. It's only then... We can experience that life that makes us want to shout hallelujah in a theater because <laughs> we know something the others might not know. Hallelujah. Oh, it's good to be in Christ, isn't it? I trust you have them today. Stand with us. Father God, I pray that you'd bless us as we sing this out. We sing because we are worshipers. And our worship is a body offered as a living sacrifice. That's our true act of worship. But every once in a while, God, we have to just sing it out. We have to use that exuberant utterance of hallelujah just to express our worship and praise for what you've done in our lives. 
thank you, Jesus.